0: Bob Fleck is the president of Oak Knoll Books and the Oak Knoll Press based in Newcastle, Delaware. He's been in business since 1976. Welcome to the Bibliophile.
1: Hello, good to be here.
0: We've just been on a tour of your facility, your beautiful big building in downtown Newcastle. I've mentioned several times you carry the kinds of books that bibliophiles just crave. I wonder if you could tell us about why you focused on these books.
1: I was a chemical engineer by training and master's degree at the University of Virginia. I worked as a summer engineer for the refinery here in Delaware. One fall I went to a football game. They said we need someone to work for us right now. Would you like to come work? I said sure I would because PhDs were not getting jobs. Those days, So I started actually working for a living, and and I had money to spend. And as soon as I had money to spend, I started spending them on books. But my prime interest was literature. Steinbeck, Faulkner, Hemingway were my big collections. But then, just as you mentioned, you can't be a book person unless you're also interested in reading some of the reminiscences about booksellers and publishers and the peripheral people around the authors that you collect. So I also started collecting that. The guy that really got me going was a. Edward Newton, reading his series of books, the amenities of book collecting and the greatest book in the world. Even though they're a little out of date, maybe some people say right now, but there was something in his enthusiastic approach to book collecting that triggered my own interest. So I started collecting books from a. Edward Newton, I collected anything about him. And that's yeah. sort of how I became a bookseller because collect all his works. I ended up having to buy larger collections of his books, many of which I already had. So what do you do? In those days you advertised your books in A.B., that magazine that came out once a week and you try to sell the books that way. So I still in my own little records back there had my A.B. ads where I was trying to to uh, sell off a couple of Edward Newton books or I was trying to find specific things you could also list once there. He died they're in 1940. The first book was published in 1918, The Amenities mm-hmm. of Book Collecting. And they're nicely put together, gilt-edged. Yeah, typical, the limited signed of his eight books, the major books. He did a lot yeah. of other little things, too. Yeah, it was fascinating. And he lived just up Paoli, Pennsylvania, which is not far away, and his business was located in Philadelphia. And just to quickly, how did he make his money? He started business in Philadelphia owning a little gift store, Novelty Bookshop, where he employed as the guy's first job. John Sloan, the artist, decorated these little pamphlets that Edward Newton would publish and mm-hmm. sell. But then he bought into an electronic company that made circuit breakers okay. and became ITE circuit breaker company. He was the PR guy and the... Uh, Salesperson, where his partner was more of the engineering person but it was a, bit, a very successful company that allowed him to buy lots of books over his life
0: so i guess he would travel around to selling but he would also visit all the
1: bookstores yeah he yeah he loved buying yeah. books and yeah. he loved writing advertising copy he was just a he was a good author good person so here we are six years into this engineering job i had transferred from the refinery and working for other chemical companies and I was finally being asked to move to Pennsylvania, pretty far away from Newark, Delaware, where I was living. My ex-wife and I, during that six-year period, had bought a daycare center and expanded it and then I kind of bought a second one and a third one, had my brother running them for us. That was kind of an income and so I said that when I was being transferred, I said, nope, (laughs) I'm not going. So on a Friday I was a chemical engineer, and on a Monday I was a bookseller because I specifically said that's what I'm going to do. I wanted to devote my life to books because that, I just would come at home and reading and playing with my book collection in the evening. But I also knew I wanted to make it a business. So when I decided to become a bookseller, I said I'm not going to compete with all these modern literature folk out there. I mean, my as much as I admired dust jackets being pristine and the rest of it, my heart wasn't into dealing with that kind of material. So what I decided to do was to sell everything I had in those fields and convert it into books about books. Because I said that no one else really was specializing in that field. And isn't that one of the geniuses
0: of a, of a collector or a collection, is to go after something that's got value but, you know, no one else is really paying attention to it, so you can
1: get it for a good price. Right, well, that that was my hope. The part about Books About Books is that there are not a lot of $200,000 books in the field. You deal with a lot of less expensive books in general, although the fine press field is more expensive. So anyhow, I did that. I I sold off my Steinbeck collection. I sold off or, or traded my other literature collections all for books about books and you know, i remember issuing my first catalog in 1976. i mailed it out and some guy in ripley tennessee who's still alive called up and bought 80 percent of the catalog <laughs> wow. i, I said boy great. is this an easy life <laughs> 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 it's the only time that's ever happened and it was this just a private collector, a private collector? he well, just loved what you had he done he loved books about books and he just decided to buy a big chunk of them. Wow. But then I, I really concentrated. I was lucky I bumped into the, some wonderful collectors early on in my life who also liked that area. Leida Rouchvard was the big one. She operated the biggest paperback bookstore in Manhattan. Had moved it out to Hempstead, New York, where she lived. Had a magazine called Collectrix, which was devoted to book collecting. But she was a fabulous lady who had formed a magnificent collection of books about books, wanted to sell them. And I said to her, I really don't have the money to buy this, but I can sell them for you. So she said, well, I'll sell them to you, but you don't have to pay for them until, you know, a period of time goes by. It was kind of my first deal (laughs) that way. And so she allowed me to buy that collection. We issued it as a catalog 10 was the first one and yeah, we're up to Catalog 292. The Catalog 10 was the first of that series, and we issued six of them. Uh, Lawrence Clark Powell, the librarian at Arizona, California, wrote an envoy to it all, we put it, a found copies that red one way up there on the top shelf there. But it was a great, and it, it helped me get on the map because there were just fabulous books in there that I really probably couldn't have afforded to have cataloging unless She had been pretty kind to me. Then she went on to form another collection which I bought and a third collection which oh, I, I bought. She <laughs> yeah. just couldn't stop collecting that
0: whole area of books about books. So what, for example, like would she focus in on something specific about uh, Books on Books?
1: She loved the new book world too and she also loved the memoirs especially of booksellers and publishers. She would go to like the new book conventions, and the ABA conventions and She'd bring back, you know, hundreds of bookmarks. And so I had this collection of bookmarks dating back to decades that she had put together that we ended up doing something with. And just kind of more ephemeral things too. Trade cards from booksellers, nineteenth century trade cards, all sorts of kind of interesting things.
0: There's another lovely thing to collect and that is those little bookseller labels label. that you'll see. I mm-hmm. don't know, if, you know obviously the book is important, but but some people might well collect a book just because it's got the foils, of course, is the classic a
1: bookseller label. It's the guy in Dinky Town who published the book on bookseller labels with actual tipped in labels. Anyhow, so that kind of nineteen seventy six and we did a few little bit of publishing in seventy eight but nothing too serious couple books a year. This is just like the old days when booksellers and publishers were one and yeah. the same. And then in, in 1979, I decided that I wanted to expand the book business, so I got a guy, uh, John Ballinger and his wife from North Carolina, bought into the business, giving me just enough money to make a down payment on what is now the Velocipede Museum here in Newcastle. But in those days, it was owned by the fourth generation Butcher here in Newcastle, and it was his shop front. Still operating it as a place where you could buy meat, and he had a slaughterhouse out back, which came with the building which he used for storage. That worked out fine for a while until we ran out of space, and then we moved a couple blocks up the street into the house that I live in now, but on the side, it, there's a uh, doctor's office, so we used that as the bookstore, but then, of course, ran out of room again, and back we went to the Tricycle Museum, and renovated it and used it all the the three stories in the basement. Ran out of room. Greatest decision I think I've ever made. Hired office movers in, to, to move the book business to this this building where we're in now, which required coming in through the window with the cranes. It was like a full week move, but these guys had it down pat how to do it all. And we've been and here the, ever since. And this building is a, it's a Masonic. Yeah, it was built by the Masons yeah. in
0: 1879. And as you... Indicated when we walked through the place, the top floor was the office, and then there was a
1: meeting. We met up here, and the second floor was an entertainment center, it was the opera house. Yeah, uh, they used it for uh, all sorts of different plays and productions that they were still doing in '79 when when I moved here. And then the first floor was leased out to play people to pay for the building, right? Used bookstores
0: as a destination. Is that Something that you've always sort of had in mind for th- for this building and this attractive mm-hmm. historic
1: town, philosophy Museum has huge glass front windows on the first floor, so it it really was a storefront mm-hmm. and we were open on Saturdays and the rest of it Newcastle, in spite of being a beautiful historic town, is not overwhelmed by the tourist trade it's small it's five thousand people, people altogether yeah. although it, it's very famous for having a lot of historically accurate architecture that was not screwed up by other people. It was founded in 1651 by the Swedes. It was much bigger than Philadelphia as a port city for a little bit of the 17th century. It was our first center of government. Delaware was the lower counties of Pennsylvania. Starting in 1704, we were kind of given our own government, although still part of the Penn family. In 1776, we became our own state by breaking from the Penn family and became. Courthouse in the green there was built in 1732 over top another courthouse and that was the center of government in Delaware up until the year 1776 and then we quickly moved it because we're right on the river and the British controlled the river so they had to quickly get out of there but it's just maintained its its atmosphere. The house that I live in was built the first part in 1713. It was the home of the first Chief Justice of Delaware who would walk across the street to the his courthouse and do his thing and then his son was Chief Justice, was longest serving Chief Justice of Delaware. There was an author born in the house, Robert Montgomery Byrd who wrote books at the same time as uh, James Fenimore Cooper wrote books. had also wrote plays, that lots of plays were produced in Philadelphia by Edwin Forrest. He was a doctor, moved out of Newcastle, but he was born in the house so I had to collect all his first oh, editions, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. it's funny how things pop into your mind as they seem to do that every couple of weeks for me. It's like, well, here's another terrific collecting opportunity. Right. <laughs> and well, I mean, I, I, I would assume this collection, but. Of yours, of, th- of that particular author, that's going to have a lot of value to the local
1: historic society. Well, the University of Delaware has always been active in collecting his books, but I've, I've used the internet to full advantage because I've been trying to buy all the foreign language editions of Nick of the Woods. It's this is his big adventure story that was published all over the place, and so i Go online and try to get in Swedish and <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's fun.
0: What's your favorite aspect of the
1: book ch- on books genre? What What do you love the most? The reminiscences of booksellers and it strikes a chord for lots of different reasons, as I'm sure it does with you. But to be a bookseller, to know all the nuances of the problems and and then see how other people kind of conquer yeah. those problems or don't conquer them. One of the things that I uh, I love about uh, about
0: reading a publishers' histories is you get you get all sorts of valuable information about you know which books influenced people or which books had perhaps more expertise or money thrown at them or are or more valuable. It's like an education. The one book that
1: I've read more often than others. I usually don't read books more than once. But the Wolf and Fleming book on Rosenbach, such a gem, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just full of so much inter- information.
0: Much of it has been left behind, so if you can dig it up again, what I find so exciting is that you know I'll get the name of two or three titles that are really important, and you go on the internet and you can f- you can typically find them for not a huge amount of money because because not everyone knows you know this particular book influenced this particular designer
1: or. Yeah, sometimes that's fun with in the world of how technology changed, printing, book binding and paper making. There are certain example books, like the first use of a technology, that no one would have thought in a million years, but you read one of these books on the history of paper making and it mentions some books, that, oh, this is the first use of wove paper <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, yeah. you can make that work for your advantage, and that's fun, that's the book selling Oh, I was about to say, yeah.
0: exactly, it's uh, one of the, the joys of being a bookseller is to pull together a, a collection of books and then make the case for those
1: books, that a case that hasn't been made before. Tom gogleton right now is has been putting together for a while the collection of nineteenth century dust jackets books with the dust jacket preserved because um, you don't see a lot of no, them but he's put together a pretty large list of them at this point to sell them someday I'm sure yeah I did the same thing with, with books in the original publishers binding 19th century American could be fiction or nonfiction but the condition had to be really good, and it had to be the original binding, and it could even be like the fourth printing or edition of some not very important book, but as a binding example, that's what I wanted to show, is how it changed with time over the 19th century. So I put it together and sold it. (laughs) I made the case for it.
0: One of the things that I love is uh, the Nonsuch Press, they've done some Buckram binding the polished buckram. It's polished mm. buckram, exactly. It's it's smooth. Sometimes t- there's almost like a little bow. the covers themselves. Yeah, up. just that fetishistic uh, <laughs> thrill of of touching that polished buckram. I look for books like that. Your selection of books and the and the content of those books. There are hundreds of collecting ideas that rest in those books. You're right. <laughs> and so, well, I can say your site is a is a mecca for bibliophiles. I would think that booksellers would flock to you, because booksellers typically are the ones that love books about books. Is that one of your target audiences?
1: Yeah, sure. As customers, many of them do like to read about the trade, and so if I publish a memoir of a bookseller, that's an obvious audience that I would try to get them to buy books for me. And then bibliographies, I mean reference books, people tend to be using them less and less it seems if if you have one bookseller using it and putting the information on the web the second person tends to borrow that information (laughs) as opposed to needing the bibliography itself but we're still doing them when we're that we're to issue a Hemingway bibliography which is going to take over from the Hanneman when it's going to come up with many new ideas that some of my first edition friends have known about for years, but this, this is going to make it more obvious to everybody.
0: So they're not going to be too thrilled about well, uh, it. Well, <laughs> let's see. Yeah. And
1: a Kipling bibliography that about It just came in, matter of fact, from the printer.
0: What about the future of the... and I'm speaking with Bob Fleck, who is the president of Oak Knoll Books and Oak Knoll Press, specialists in books about books. This is a standard question, but it's one that, that always comes up in uh, talks about books. But where do you see your business going in the next 20 years?
1: You're right. I think the the world is being changed by the Kindles and, and the rest of it. I think that there will always be a category of books which people will want to own because of uh, the feel, the smell, the whatever of it. Especially when it comes to books that are illustrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of these things just don't produce that well. Plus the letterpress angle as well. Letterpress, yeah. I mean there's going to be a certain category of books that really will, I think, exist for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And people, as you mentioned earlier, even if there's a choice between having a Kindle of something and an actual book, sometimes people like to have the book, the hard copy of that book. Sometimes the Kindle approach will only make it more obvious that the person <laughs> wants to trade up to, a, to the actual book. Mm-hmm. So in the publishing part, we haven't really seen the problem. I mean, We're careful about the print runs, et cetera. The bibliographies, that part is harder and slower. Bibliography is the kind of book that probably should be online. I mean, as mm-hmm. soon as you publish yeah. a bibliography, it's out of date. Someone's gonna discover new information. But we'll keep doing it the old-fashioned way for a while, although even our bibliographies, in order to, to keep the price down, the John Updike bibliography that we did, the Kipling that we're doing, the Hemingway which will come out, all have a CD in the back. Because oh, okay. there's just no way that we can put all the content in one volume and keep the price reasonable. And we can't put color in a bibliography unless it's just a color section, so, if you want to see all the dust jackets in color we're putting them on the cd in color so you can really see what they do look like
0: and i suppose what you could do is sell some sort of subscription to an ongoing
1: uh, bibliography that is <laughs> on years your site years ago i actually tried to set up with a guy in england something called bibliography.com where you can go into this site find if there's a bibliography in print buy it if there isn't one buy an out of print one or be offered you know, Uh, for a subscription basis the ability to go in and look at all these bibliographies and some people have tried to do that some of them are being digitized now, the Mm -hmm. Americana Exchange has a number of of digital versions of that but the books on topography and all, I mean they're still selling just fine, the memoirs are selling fine, we're not issuing them on Kindle at this point as I mentioned we're probably going to opt out of the Google settlement yeah, could you g- give us just a quick s- uh, summary of uh,
0: why, why? Yeah, Google
1: has digitized a whole series of books, even if the book is in copyright, with the idea of making that available digitally and making it available as part of a massive database to libraries for a subscription basis. And then they would, re- I mean, you have to worry about such things as royalties to authors, which we mm-hmm. do pay our authors a royalty. and. But how do you figure that out? You get a really dinky amount of money if they sell one of my books as part of a massive Mm -hmm. database and that dinky amount that comes to me, an even dinkier amount goes to the author. And we just, we don't need it. I mean, we don't need to have our books put out that way. There are still people who are willing to buy a thousand copies of a book when I publish it. And this way I control what it looks like, it's important to us, the feel of the book, the yeah. way it's arranged, the printing of it, the jacket, all that's important to us as a visual mm-hmm. presentation. Well, it's also a
0: big part of the pleasure of what you do.
1: Years ago we had someone distributing some of our books into the new bookstore market. Lions Press in, in New York was doing it. Not that the books that we publish are all that great for new bookstores, most mm-hmm. of them, but mm-hmm. some are. like. ABC for Book Collectors by John Carter has been our most popular book for years and years.
0: You got the rights to that in North America? is
1: that? We had the rights totally because uh, the Carter Estate is owned by Eaton College and Nicholas Barker who revised John Carter's book and now in the 8th edition is the executor for the Carter Estate and so he controls the rights and after a lot of back and forth we actually got the rights to that book. And so they would take that book and sell it into the new bookstore market. And on occasion, we'd get tons of books back. They'd all be wrecked. <laughs> I mean, and so we finally said, we looked at the numbers and said, with this new electronic age of being able to market things electronically, why don't we concentrate on doing that? Having a great website, having the ability to use a program like Constant Contact, or want to go out and tell your customer database about new titles coming out. We just published a book called The Typographic Desk Reference by Theo Rosendorf. He is a a master of belonging to electronic groups all over the world in his field, and he did a superb job of getting his book noticed Mm. by the different electronic... We've had to go back three times now to print more copies of the book, which is unusual for us. Third impression, then. Yeah, right, and we're careful about noting each one of those. on the copyright page. So there is, a. I think, in at least in my lifetime, and hopefully my son's, if he stays with the business, the publishing part will be okay. The antiquarian part, there's a, I think there's still rare books out there, and maybe today's common book will be tomorrow's rare book. That's what we're hoping for. I'm, I'm just being much more careful about the books that I consider adding to the rare book part of the business. It has to be truly a book that's difficult to find and important for some. Reason. as it pertains to books about right. books.
0: Just in winding down, books and books is a fairly broad category. Perhaps you could identify three or four key titles and then give us your favorite books about books.
1: Well, I already mentioned the one, the Rosenbach uh, biography by Wolfen and Fleming. The amenities of book collecting, Edward Newton, but but don't stop with just that one of his. He wrote a whole series, but they're essays that most of them originally appeared as magazine articles. Some are better than others, Mm. but in that whole slew of his essays, there's some really good ones there that are inspirational. I still think the Carter ABC for Book Collectors, it's, it's a reference book theoretically, which defines terms, but. It's a very humorous reference book. I mean Carter was a master at making something interesting. We're doing a series right now which I think is going to eventually take its place in a, one of the most important things we did called The History of the Library and Western Civilization by Costas Stykos, a Greek an architect living in Athens who I don't know how he finds time to do this but he does I mean we're about ready to get the fourth volume in this series it's that huge one over there and the they're each huge oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're just so scholarly and so beautiful when that series is complete it's going to be just fabulous but this is the part of book selling that I love best. What do I mean by that? I've been over to Athens a number of times to be with him and just to kind of talk books and to visit his letterpress printing shop which he owns Mm. in addition to his architectural business. That's the pleasure for me. That's just an example of the book business going all over the world and having people that you know, kind of common interest. It's like Instantaneous friendship just yeah. about wherever you are. And the same when people come here. We love to entertain people. So I would, I mean, I'd recommend if you're interested in being a bookseller someday, is to number one, of course, be part of a large organization like the Antiquarian Booksellers Association of America. Doing the fairs together, you really develop that comradeship of it all. Mm-hmm. But the foreign travel, the meeting with other dealers and collectors, You've just never seen Athens unless you've been taken around by someone who lives there. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Finally, bookstores themselves. Perhaps you could identify your favorite bookstore <laughs> or a handful. Yeah. And what? Well,
1: that's a tough duty anymore. I still go to the Strand. Matter of fact, one of the guys here who used to be the night manager for the Strand just moved back from Thailand to work here for me. I mean, that's a huge place, but there's always lots of good books. I still wander up the Baldwin's book barn up in Westchester, which is one of the last standing of the massive barn, four stories, just full of books. That's worth a trip. Maybe once every two months I will take a day off and just wander around the different used bookstores, which there are less and less of anymore in in Pennsylvania, Delaware, this Maryland. We have a beach house down in Lower Delaware, and I kind of love taking the back road there and going through Chestertown, Maryland, where there's two shops, and then Pratt, Maryland, on Route 50 going south, where there's Unicorn Bookstore, which is a good, used bookstore. I'm, I still love to go into them. There's nothing more exciting than being in a bookstore where you haven't been in before <laughs> that, ha- that you know has stuff you're interested yeah. in. I mean, ma'am. You just spend hours and hours doing that
0: and one of the great things too is that typically you've got, if you go into a bookstore between then and the next time you go in the bookstore you've come up with a new collecting idea so you've got a whole new reason to go into that same store and it becomes a different store
1: yeah exactly I mean <laughs> remember there used to be a bookstore in Wilmington uh, owned by a guy, Mort Rosenblatt, who's dead now. But I remember getting something in and reading about Margaret Armstrong. She did these decorative, very decorative bindings on yeah. her trade books, and I was so excited about that. I immediately left for that bookstore, which I have been to a million times, but with a new look, I want to see these bi- examples of binding, which he had a ton of, of yeah. course, up there. Yeah, so that was yeah, just exactly what you said, new interest. Well, thanks very much for
0: sharing sure. uh, your thoughts on future of the book and history of your company. And, and best of luck with the plans that you have for this destination, which again is inviting several other very well-known, highly regarded booksellers to join you in the building and turn this... Turn want distant. a new store! Here we go. <laughs> thanks very right, much. Sure. I've been speaking with uh, Bob Fleck, who is the president of Oak Knoll Books and Oak Knoll Press based in Newcastle, Delaware. Thank you.